millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Throttle podcast and welcome to the start of Eurosport's comprehensive superbike racing coverage of 2019. We'll be broadcasting live to you on no fewer than 24 weekends across the racing season. Once again, covering the British and World Superbike Championships exclusively live on UK television. Once the season is underway, the Full Throttle podcast will be heading your way on a weekly basis once again whether that's on race weekends or in between. And as ever, you can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify and the Eurosport website. I'm Greg Haynes, one half of British Eurosport's World Superbike commentary team. And once again, our partner in crime is former World Superbike winner and British champion, Mr James Whittam, who joins us now for this annual World SBK season preview. This is 2019. How are you, sir? Yeah, not bad, Greg. Uh, I've, I've wintered reasonably well, I think. Uh, up here in uh, northern UK, it's been a bit wet and it's really windy at the minute. But yeah, I think we're all right. I think we're good to go. I've had a little bit of bike time, a little bit of motocross, bear trail riding and uh, mostly trials riding now. The steady stuff, you know, for my uh, advancing years. I suppose the weather's not been great for flying, has it, recently? No, it's not. A lot of wind. We get a lot of wind up here. And and where we fly from is a thousand foot above sea level. That's the sort of runway height. So that's quite that's quite high. So we get a bit a little bit of weather, but we like it. It's going to be a busy one, though, isn't it, this year? We've got 24 weekends of bike racing on Eurosport. There's only one clash weekend, isn't there, with BSB and World Superbike. So there's a lot of uh, action this year. Yeah, absolutely brilliant for us. It means we can do a proper job of both. Uh, we're not trying to split ourselves. Like I say, only one meeting clashes. Uh, that's the best it's ever been in my time of doing both championships. And we've got two really good championships to concentrate on. Both changed considerably with World Superbike in terms of format and a three-race uh, weekend. And, and there's some rule changes as well, especially in World Supersport. And in BSB, it's kind of like a change to the guard. You know, we've lost three of the top runners in Haslam, in Burn and Dixon, and that means the younger ones have, have, have got a, a big chance of winning the championship and they'll be going extra hard for it. Yeah, it's going to be great, and we will have a BSB season preview show coming up soon. But just very quickly, before we talk about World Superbikes, what's your feeling on the Scott Redding situation? Because there's so much attention on Scott Redding coming in to BSB from, uh, from MotoGP. Yeah, I, I mean... The, he was always going to be the big news. I mean, at the end of last year when it was announced, it was rumoured for quite a long time, but nobody believed the rumours. Uh, then it happened. Yeah. And it's a massive coup for BSB. 
he's a big name. The lad's a big name. Not only that, he's a massive character. Uh, and I mean that in a really positive way because he's a little bit mad. And I think that being <laughs> a little bit mad in this job isn't a bad thing. He, you know, you just follow his social media stuff and he's just knows. I watched one where he was, he was going down some mountain road on a bicycle, but he's got his leathers on and he's trying to lose the front and then pick it up on his knee, but he didn't pick it up on his knee. And a couple of the times he went spinning off out into some trees at about 40 miles an hour off his foot. <laughs> so he's just a character. He's got a lot of work to do. We've talked about it before on here. Uh, he's he's got to learn um, a new set of regulations. He won't have ridden anything like a BSB spec bike. He's gone from the most technically advanced bikes in the world uh, to some that uh, not as technically advanced, the rules of BSB will look because they're more basic, controlled ECU, no traction control or other rider reins, etc. So he's got to learn all that. And more importantly, he's got to learn some circuits that he's never raced at. He's never raced in the UK much, hasn't, hasn't Scott. Um, and it's going to be a big learning curve. But he's up for it. I've spoken to him a couple of times over the winter and he's bang up for it. And he says not having traction control just means that he's on a level playing field and bring it on. So, uh, And there's, there's one thing that is for sure. The kid's brave, so yes, he, you know he, he, you're not going to get him. I don't think he's going to. He's doing it for the money. I think he's doing it for a genuine go at a BSB tile. So good on him. Yeah, I know him from MotoGP from before. He's a great guy. But I completely agree. I think he's just the right kind of lunatic for BSB, isn't he? And I mean that in a really nice way. <laughs> he's going to be perfect. Yeah, it is. But I tell you what, he's going to coming from MotoGP. He's going to have a real tiger on his back. Uh, the rest of the boys yeah. at BSB are going to be so desperate to prove that they've got a championship that's A, valid, and B, really quick still. Even with losing the three top riders, as it were, from last year, I still think that there's going to be some s serious competition. And, I mean, I know uh, from experience, I, do, I still do a lot of track training and instruction on one-litre sports bikes. And I can tell you that even with so something that's is essentially a road bike. Now road bikes have got, you know, we use 1,000cc Suzuki GSX-Rs with the best part of 200 horsepower, but it's a road bike. Uh, they've got probably 30 or 40 brake horsepower, more than that in BSB. And I can tell you, the place like Cadwell and Open Park, such a challenge. And, I mean, enjoyable. He'll love it. He won't have raced anywhere, anywhere like it, but a real challenge and just no rest, absolutely no rest. I couldn't believe, you know, what the difference is my last time racing at BSB levels on a 750 Yamaha, perhaps 160 brake horsepower, and just with 200 on a road bike now, it's a different place. So, yeah, he's got something I need to do. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Well, thanks, everyone, in the meantime, for your tweets you've been sending in to uh, Jim Witt 69 and Greg Haynes TV. Thanks for the Facebook questions as well. We'll get onto those in a moment. But first of all, Witt, we've been sending WhatsApp voice messages back and forth, haven't we, over the last few weeks? But now it's getting yep. serious. Flying out to Australia next week. Three races per weekend now for World Superbikes. We've got two full-length races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then this new sprint race, or the Tissot Super Pole race, as it's officially called, on the yep. Saturday morning. What yep. the heck's going to happen? I've, I've absolutely no idea. I really don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, it's, it's, I mean, you, you, look at it, you can look at it in several different ways. If the racing's brilliant, well, it's another opportunity to see them racing. Sometimes a sprint race has a different outcome. Strategies are different, especially as far as tyres go. Um, and it's going to suit some riders and it isn't going to suit others. However, you, you, the downside for me would be if you get a, a rider that completely dominates and is quick enough to win, well, the, you, you're going to give him three opportunities to win, not two in a weekend. 
But that said, like I say, it's going to be different strategies. Uh, they've got a range of new tyres out for next year. Some of them are aimed at a sort of 10-lap uh, duration and, and um, durability. So we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be different. Um, it's going to be a lot of racing to watch on a weekend. I know that. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting for that. From a TV point of view, it's great, actually, that we've got so many races. But, yeah, we've got this new Pirelli uh, SCX tyre, so it's supposed to last 10 laps, like you say. So they can use that at the beginning of a Super Pass, so it's not so much of a jump onto the qualifying tyre. And then they can use it for the sprint race as well, if they want to, but they don't have to. I think what is going to be interesting is... If you have a problem in that sprint race and everyone's going to go hell for leather, it's going to be chaos, isn't it? You're going to have people like Toprak fighting for wins there. It's only 10 laps. Regardless of the track, it's only 10 laps, which is also going to be interesting because 10 laps of Laguna Seca are going to go by a lot quicker than 10 laps of Qatar, aren't they? But that's going to where I think, you know, people like Jonathan Reagan have to be careful in that race not to lose too many points and mess up their grid position for the last race. Yeah, and that, that's the point. There is going to be strategies coming to play that are quite different because of the different race length. We saw a couple of times in the last few years where riders haven't wanted to lead a race. Certainly in a place like Phillip Island, they've been wanting to let somebody else lead. They know the tyres are going to be mm. issued towards the end and they want to sit in the group and not, not stick the head above the parapet, as it were. This isn't going to be possible in a in a more sprint-length race. So we'll see. It's a... Uh, it's a different thing. It's never been tried before in any championship that I've been involved with or, or talked about. So we'll see. There's a tweet here, James, uh, to Jim Witt 69 Greg Haynes TV and Eurosport underscore UK. And it's from Dave. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that our first tweet of the year should come from somebody called Dave. Who's the dark horse of the season? Which team and or rider? I, Dave, am going to go for Toprak because I just think he's got a great bike there. He's got all the data from last year. I'm not saying he's going to win the title, but I think he's going to be on the podium a few times. And I do think he'll win at least one race. What do you reckon, Whip? Yeah, I'd actually agree with you because Toprak is the type of rider that will have a little bit of a go. We've seen him make fairly steady progress. Like you said, his bike should be reasonably good. Uh, and he'll have a go. He'll, he'll get stuck in. All he needs is a good start, especially I would see in a maybe a sprint race situation where you know he doesn't have to think too much about other things uh, and worry too much about things wearing out and uh, tyres especially. So I would actually, yeah, I concur on that opinion. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Well, we started the year off concurring. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt going to be a few... Uh, Differences of opinion over the air, and I hope there are, because there's so much to talk about. There's bound to be. What about the fact that they're giving points for the sprint race? Because that's something Jonathan Ray definitely doesn't like. Marco Melandri definitely doesn't like it, because they're saying that there's so much more risk in this sprint race with only 10 laps. They're giving points to the top nine with 12 points to the winner. So it's basically yeah. Dorna saying half the race distance, we'll give you half the points. So they've gone for 12 points to avoid silly half points, which would be stupid. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you agree with them? There is a risk, I suppose, that like you could get involved in a collision. There's a couple of ways of looking at it. I mean, the first way would be, uh, you know, running without the points. But then the second way you think, well, it's, if it's a race, what would be the, you know, the, the validity of it if you didn't have some points? At stake. So, like I said, the only downside would be, and I'm, if you were looking from Jonathan Ray's point of view, most weekends that we've seen over the last couple of three years, where he's, he's he, let's be honest, dominated the meeting, well, he'd just have another chance at getting, albeit less points, but some more points over the weekend than his normal haul. So, you know, if I was Jonathan Ray and looking like dominating, I'd be saying, bring it on, let's have some more points for an extra shorter race. No skin off my nose. But 
you know, like you say, you've got to go a little bit harder. You tend to find the shorter the race, the more loopy people go, the less they have to worry about. <laughs> they think, and they think what you think is all right, right? All I need to do make a make a good start, get stuck in, and flipping. You know, I can, I'll do what I need to do. Whereas a long race, a lot more sort of longevity strategy comes in about conserving yourself, the tyres, and having something left at the end. Well, you don't have to worry about that over ten laps. Yeah, well, they've ditched um, the reverse grid as well, haven't they? So for Jonathan Ray, it could work quite well because if he gets the pole position and then wins race one. He's then on pole position again for the sprint race because that's decided by qualifying positions. Yeah. So, again, if he wins that one or he's up in the top few, even if he drops back to avoid the chaos, he's not lost too many points because there's fewer points available anyway in that race. And, you know, he's still on row two or something for race three. Yeah, if I were, if I were Jonathan Ray, that's the way I'd be looking at it. Yeah, another opportunity for me to, to, to be on my bike. He, he always makes a good start, whether that's from you know, the third row where we've seen him come from many a time with that reverse grid, semi-reverse grid um, format. Uh, so he, he doesn't make bad starts. He generally gets away as well as anybody. He can pass people quicker and more effectively than anybody else on the grid, it seems. So I would have said that the extra race, however many points you get, would, would be good for him, I would say. Other changes, Superpol's now just one session for Supersport and Superbike. That makes sense, I think, really. Everyone's going to be on the track together. Um, also, because yeah, there's only and 18 and riders. And it a little been, bit more relaxing on Friday. Gives them a yeah. little bit more time to set up without having to think too much about uh, not being left True. out of one or other of the of the sessions, that you know, Superpol 1 or Superpol 2. So I think it, Friday will be... There's more of a relaxed build-up to the, to the weekend, I think, which, which I think will suit most teams. Do you think... Traffic could be a problem, James, in qualifying now because last year, Super Pole 2, when they were going for pole, we only had 12 riders on the track. This year, there's going to be, well, 18 full-time riders plus the wild cars. There's going to be 20-odd riders on the track. That could be an issue at some of the smaller circuits. Quite, quite honestly, no. I think it's <laughs> going to be all right. I've seen, I've seen more riders than that on track. I think there's also penalties in place. There's people watching it. You can't just tour around waiting for a a tour, yeah. you're not allowed to sort of do any real um, sort of obvious, um, you know, waiting for somebody or you, you, you really want to be keeping out of people's way. And people know this and there is penalties. So I, I can't see a problem. As long as everybody acts right in the head, which they should do any, anyway at that level. It's not, we're not, talk, we're not talking about a Cadwell club race. We're talking about professionals, yeah. you know, I, I think, I think that'll be fine. What is going to be interesting later on, and we'll talk more about this closer to the time, but when Supersport 300 starts from Aragon, there's a massive entry list this year. It's about 50 riders, and not all of them yeah. will actually be able to, to race. Some of them will go there and qualify, like the good old days, and not actually be able to race. And then there's even a last chance race as well for another six riders to get into the main race. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, that, that system works in other classes. I've seen... They call it either a last chance qualifying in America. I've seen that work there. Mm. Or I think there's a, a, another name called Repercharge, they call it, where there's X amount of um, places in the final still available to people who didn't make the final in, under normal circumstances. And that's fair, I think, because it yeah. means that if you've had problems and not got a timing for some reason, whatever, maybe it's a weather-affected meeting or maybe you've had bike issues... Well, it does give the faster riders chance to get in, as you say, last chance qualifying. So I think that'll work. And I think the class has worked. I think that class has, has seen some really good racing, especially at longer circuits where slipstreaming comes into play. Um, and, and 
I just think it's been a really good entry-level world championship class. Um, I think they've got work to do to keep it fair um, and on a par bike-wise because we've seen different... The, the two years we've seen it, we've seen a different bike dominate because of, of the standard road bike being a, more, a newer or better or bigger CC design. So I think Scott has got his work cut out. Um, Scott's Martin keeping a little bit of parity going between the bikes. <laughs> yeah. that, I think we're, we're going to continue to have a, a successful class for the kids. Ian Walker on Twitter here. Why are the support classes so short of Brits when Superbike is full of them? Great question, Ian. That's a very good point because World Supersport this year for well over 10 years does not have a single British rider. Kyle Smith now racing in the Spanish Championship. What is going on there, Whit? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I can't say much. I saw that tweet this morning and actually did reply, um, although briefly I was quite busy. Uh, and it's not out of the question that we're not going to get Kyle Smith back in on a decent bike. I can't ah, say too much about that. Um, but anyway, there's a chance still. Um, but no I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily wrong I just think that it goes in kind of circles you know and it's, it's a cyclic thing where uh, you know we get French riders coming through we have over the last few years uh, loads of reasons for that they've got a, a good French domestic championship and they've got, got a lot of young riders they bring through on, on certain uh, kind of schemes they've got going but it's not. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong. Just some years you do, some you don't. I would love to see a fast Britain World Super Sport. I love the class anyway. Um, I think it's a brilliant class. I'm really sad uh, that there isn't every manufacturer really getting heavily involved with the 600 class. But the fact is, they don't sell that many 600 cc sports bikes on the road, so it's less important to the manufacturers. I hope it can make a comeback. I really do because it's a brilliant class. And let's be honest. You do need something between that Supersport 300 class and the Superbike class with, you know, 250 brake horsepower. Uh, you need something that's got, you know, that's a big gap from 40 horsepower yeah. up to, uh, you know, up to, up to sort of 240. So um, as far as not having a Britain, I'm not necessarily that worried. I'd like to see a couple of Brits in there, but it's, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with what we're doing. It just happens that way sometimes. I think we need a balance, don't we, really? Because Superbike's got a lot of stick the last few years for having too many Brits. Supersport's now getting a bit of stick for not having any Brits at the moment. <laughs> we just need a, a balance, really, don't we? Exactly. Yeah, and he'll come. Yeah, OK, good. Looking forward to that. Right, Craig from uh, Kawasaki UK. Thanks for the message on Facebook. Uh, he's saying to ask James, right, here we go. You're allowed to pick five World Superbike riders from their prime to race each other on identical bikes. Who would James want to see race? And what bike from the World Superbike series of past or present would he have them riding on? And the sixth right, one is many, obviously him. Craig says. How many people going to choose? Right, you can pick uh, five World Superbike riders from their prime. Right, five World Superbike riders from their prime. Um, right, let's have a go. You'd want one <laughs> from really early on because you'd want to find out what the level was back then and I would go with... I'd love to see Scott Russell racing again just because he's nuts and he's a mega character. On his day, he was almost unbeatable. He blew a little bit on cold. Um, so I would go Scott Russell. Okay. Uh, you've got to go with uh, Jonathan Ray because he is the oh, pretty much all-time maestro and certainly the current one. Um, 
I would definitely go with Ben Spees because I want to see how good he was. Mm. You know what I mean? I'd mm. like to see him in his prime against somebody like Jonathan Ray in their prime. That'd be really interesting because he came and smoked the championship, but I'm not sure that he would have done. I'd be had a really on at his prime on a brilliant yeah. bike, Jonathan Ray involved. Um, you've got to pick Carl because yeah. I'd want to see how much he whinged if he didn't beat everybody else. Um and let me think, last one, last one, last one would be... It's got to be Troy Bayliss, hasn't it? Surely. Yeah, well, Bayliss. I'd go yeah. Bayliss. Because Bayliss I really rate. Not, I mean, I don't think he was head and shoulders talent-wise above, above everybody else who's ever raced him so far. I just think he was just a, such an hard little fella. He had a lot of talent, but he was very hard. He, was, he dug in, he never gave up. He just a... Just a solid, solid little rider. Uh, and you, you, Everybody loved him for it. I did. I really enjoyed watching him racing. So, yeah, them's your five. And what bike? Ah, you see, bike... Mm, that's a good different one. Different bikes to different people. You know, um, let me... What would I put them on? What would I put them on? Um, <laughs> that's quite tricky, actually, isn't it? Yeah. i tell you what I'd put them on, you know. I would put them on uh, a, a 1993... Belgada Yamaha YZF 1050. <laughs> and the, re- nice. the reason I would is because that bike was a really fast bike. I rode it a couple of times as a wild card, standing in for injured riders. And it was <laughs> just right. a rev. It was such a rev box. Didn't have a lot of mid-range power. You had to rev the, the little nuts off it to get it to go. It did go. Uh, a lovely, lovely steering bike. And, I'd, yeah, I'd like to see him ride that. So basically, so basically what you've done is pick five riders plus yourself because you're the sixth rider on a bike that you know well and they don't. Is that is that true? Well, yeah, but hey, listen, listen. In my defence, <laughs> it's a long time ago and I never really mastered it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant though, wouldn't it? Thanks for that, Craig. Yeah. No, good question. Line them all up on the Brands Hats Grand Prix circuit. Fantastic, that would be. Uh, right, Stuart Seabright. Hi, Stuart. Of course, um... The Seabright family, very much linked to BSB. We saw Fenton in uh, Motorstar last year, racing KTMs as well the last few years. Uh, James, what yeah. are your thoughts on Leon Haslam's prospects on his second time? And that's true, it's his second time, possibly last time now, in World Superbikes. Yeah, I mean, well, number one, I, 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 get, I get on really well and I, and I spend a little bit of time with Leon when he's around. Although he spends most of his winters in Spain now, training, in inverted commas, uh, messing about on bikes, more like. Uh, but why not? Uh, he's a professional. Uh, I do a bit of trials riding with him. I really like him. He's a good bloke. Um, and I think that he's really lucky to get this opportunity on. This isn't a second-rate bike he's going in to ride. He gets his second bike at the Chariot, a full-time world superbike job on the best bike on the grid, arguably. Um, so that's brilliant for him. Um, he thoroughly deserves it. I think he'll do himself justice. I... I I mean, looking at what's happening in testing, bear in mind he's jumping on a bike that's technically more advanced than what he's riding, takes a bit of learning, he seems to be doing that. He's generally between third and sort of fifth speed-wise. He's very close to everybody else. When you look at a couple of the tests that I've seen the times on, Jonathan Ray's probably three-quarters of a second quicker than anybody else, and then there's half a second to cover the next 10, 12 riders. And he's right in the mix as far as the sort of second man down-wise is, is Leon. I think prospects are good. And I think I don't think for championship, I think he's going to take a massive ask and something to happen to Jonathan Ray for Leon to, uh, to challenge him for the championship. But that can happen. You know, it can happen. Uh, and, and Jonathan knows it can happen. We've seen it happening in racing before. Um, and you've got to be in it to win it. Um, 
But I think we'll see some good rides from him as, you know, these ones, he typically does best when you've got to dig a little bit deep, something goes wrong, mm, you pick yourself yeah. up. He's one of them, he's one of them little diggers, he's, he's, um, Leon, he never gives up, loves his racing. There's one thing, he will enjoy his season. Um, you know, he'll, he'll love trekking around in his motorhome and, and getting a bit of sun on his back. So, and, and good luck to him, you know. And one thing is, is, he's a good man for Kawasaki. They've loved having him in green leathers and doing the Suzuka 8 hour. He does really well there. He's dead fast around that place. He's, he's been on the winning uh, team a couple of times there, a couple of three times, I think. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a really, he's good for him. And I look forward to, to having a, a brew with him in, in his big motorhome in the paddocks of the world. Now, Carl Fogarty's come out in a completely non-controversial style, as Carl likes to do over the last few days, in the German press. And he reckons that the only person that can challenge Jonathan Ray this year is Alvaro Bautista. So what are your feelings on that? And, of course, we know <laughs> Foggy likes to mix it up a bit, doesn't he? I think Alex Lowe's and a few other riders would have something to say about that. Right, well... I, I, First, I've got to apologise for everybody else on the grid uh, except for Jonathan Ray with what I'm going to say now because I think <laughs> what Foggy means, and I would half agree with him, is we know that it's going to be a massive, massive ask for anybody else who we have seen and we do know uh, in, in terms of superbike racing to push Jonathan Ray. In terms of can anybody else do it who we've already seen, it's going to be difficult. And I think that's what Carl means. Alvaro Bautista, we don't know how quick he is on a superbike. We don't know how good the bike's going to be. But maybe there's a chance, if he clicks with it and the bike's brilliant, uh, that he can push Jonathan Ray. And I think that's what Carl means. I don't think he was dismissive of everybody else. I would love to see an Alex Laws or a, a Tom Sykes on the new BM uh, or a Leon Haslam or a Chas Davis give, give Jonathan a run for the championship. And who knows? But can I see it? From what I've seen the last few years and in testing so far, no. Um, but with Alvaro, you don't know because he's never been in that championship. He's got some circuits to learn. He's got a new bike to learn. He's got a new format to learn. Uh, but at the minute, he seems, for where they are with the development of the bike and where his experience of the bike is, I think they're not doing so bad. Yeah, I agree with you, to be honest. And that answers Stephen Proctor's tweet as well. Can anyone stop Jonathan Ray this season? Um, what about the other side of the Ducati garage, then, with this new V4, Chaz Davis? I just can't quite believe the guy's luck, James. He's hurt again for the second year in a row. His pre-season's been messed up, quite frankly, by injuries. Yeah, we were talking about this before. I feel so sorry for Chaz because we know that Chaz, on his day, at a circuit that suits the bike he's riding is the man that can take it to Jonathan Ray because we've seen it. But it just seems that for every win that Chas Davis has put across the bowels of Jonathan Ray, he's taken every single bit of talent and speed and bravery and, and guts to do it. And the problem with that is that it doesn't matter how safe you are as a rider. Chas is a safe man. He is not a lunatic. He will catch up with you sometimes. If you're pushing at that 110% sort of limit, you're on the edge the whole time, which he seems to have to be able to, to do to, to take it to Jonathan, then you're going to drop off the bike and he doesn't have small caches because he ain't going slow. The man is trying so hard and we're loving for it. But if you're going to knock yourself about sooner or later, it catch up with you, catches up with you. And I've just got a feeling that, that for Charles, this is, uh, you know, that it's been as hard as he has for the last few years, but this is kind of a... This is, you know, the price you pay, unfortunately. He knows that. He's a clever, clever man, he's Charles, and a brave lad as well. Um, all I can say is I hope that, you know, he, he 
is able to get something like physically fit. Difficult when you're trying to um, develop a brand new bike as well, uh, because you've got to be out there. Uh, you've got to do a lot of laps. You've got, you know, you got to put the the sort of hard yards in, and it's difficult if you're in pain or if you're not physically fit. So it's a bit unfortunate. Like you say, timing's not brilliant for for Chaz either. It doesn't seem to ever be perfect for Chaz at the timing. Un- unluckily, you know. Yeah, at least it was his birthday this week, so happy birthday, Chaz. And to uh, your wife, Hattie, as well. They've got birthdays a couple of days apart, so uh, that's quite funny. But what about other Ducati riders this year? Eugene Laverty, I mean, that was an 11th-hour deal if there ever was one, wasn't it? He's got a Go 11 bike, but not the Kawasaki they had before with Roman Ramos. He's now on a V4 Ducati as well, uh, but different suspension. And it's interesting, James, because all three of the Ducati teams, Aruba Ducati... Barney Ducati, which now has Michael Ruben Rinaldi replacing Xavi Forrest, he's gone to BSB, uh, and Go11, they've all got different suspensions. So you've got Bitubo suspension on the Go11 bike with Laverty, you've got yeah. Olin's on the Aruba bikes, and Shoa yeah. on Rinaldi's bike. Is that the smartest thing to do or not? Uh, it depends how much information you, you think you're going to get across anyway. If you don't think you're going to get any help off off the team that's on mm. the different suspension, well, what's the point anyway? You've got to develop your own strategy. As far as that thing goes, it, it's a brand new bike, and running uh, if you're running a brand new bike, uh, it's it's difficult for any team. If it's a team that's never run that that you know anything like that kind of bike before, that's an even bigger ask. Um, we all know that generally the Ducatis work a little bit different to everything else. But this one is a V4, completely different layout. Um, it's a different. It's not the stressed airbox design chassis anymore. They've gone for a, a short stub uh, twin spar frame, which should make it a little bit more conventional in the way that you've got to put it around the circuit. Um, and it looks quick. I mean, it looks a beautiful thing. I mean, I saw, I saw it down at the NEC in November, and it, it's just a work of art. You would have that thing in your house. Just yeah. to look at, you know, it's yeah. just beautiful, and and I, I don't know whether that translates into, uh, you know, makes it any better as a race bike, but it's a start, um, and you can't see Ducati not of doing, not of do, uh, having done their own work. You know, you, you know that they know how a motorcycle works. They've got the experience, and and they, not only that, they know what they needed to to do. They knew, they know the level they've got to be at to win, and I can't see them getting involved if they don't think they can get to that level. The clever people at Ducati. Um, but it's a brand new bike and it's going to take a little bit of getting going they always do and uh, if you've never run a Ducati before and you're jumping straight into a brand new Ducati with no data as a couple of the teams are that's uh, (laughs) yeah it's a, it's a big ass. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. If it wanted looks alone, that bike's world champion already, isn't it? What about Yamaha? Yeah. Because on paper, they should be the closest to Kawasaki. doesn't always work out that way. But Lowe's looks pretty good in pre-season testing. I think he seems really comfortable, actually. And Vandermark's left, yeah, Scaphoid is sorted now. Exactly. Settled. He looks settled. Uh, he looks like he isn't. He hasn't been the quickest uh, for any of the tests. However... What it does look like, he's been able. If you look at how many, if you look at his, his sort of breakdown of lap times, it can do that. It seems reasonably easy for him to do really quick lap times. Maybe not outstanding single laps, and we don't know what they've gone sort of tyre wise, but um, whether they've actually pushed for a really quick single lap. But it does look like he's sitting at those quite quick times easily or quite a, a bit easier than what he has, and that bodes quite well. And that, 
I mean, that, that's a bike that's been in the championship a while. It's been run by the, that team a while. They should be ready to push for the championship. We've said this before, and both riders should be ready as well now. They, you know, we can't keep saying that they're both youngsters and both rookies. They're not. They've been in the championship long enough, both Vandermark and Lowe's, to have a push for the championship. I think they will both see it that way. And I see both of those riders as A-team riders. There's no, there's, there isn't a, a weak one amongst them. Yeah, sixth season for Alex Lowe's, fifth season for Michael Vandermark. So, yeah, they, they yeah. need to get on with it. But Vandermark's wrist is better now because exactly. he had a horrible crash, didn't he, in Qatar and broke his scaphoid um, at the end of last year. So he seems to be yeah. pretty much back up to full speed with that. Uh, right, BMW, Marcus Reiterberger, Stock 1000 champion, Tom Sykes, 2013 world champion. They've got a lot of work still to do, obviously. It's a completely new bike, road bike, race bike. But he just seems so happy, so comfortable, so settled as well. Yeah, and I... I, I I really like the bike. I saw it at the NEC, had a good look at it. I got some specs on it and read it. It's a, a lot of technical stuff, as you'd imagine, from uh, the German manufacturer. But they've addressed, um, I can't even say problems with the old bike. The old bike was the benchmark sports bike yeah, for super yeah. soccer. For five or six years, it's a good bike. And they, they've, they've uh, tweaked and improved what was a very good bike in the first place. I just hope it translates to a super bike better than the old bike. The old bike was the benchmark super stocker. If you were going to go buy a bike to race at national level or club level and you, you didn't want to have too much mucking about, it would be a BMW S1000 double R. They are brilliant. Strong engine, reliable. Uh, the new bike uh, is completely different. It's a narrower engine. It's a lighter engine. It's variable valve time. It's very technical. Uh, I got one of the technicians to talk me around just the engine and I came away with eyes going round like flipping gobstoppers because he'd actually pickled my brain with all the information he was putting across. Yeah, yeah. I think think the bike's going to be very good. I think it's going to be good. Um, And I think I've spoken to Tom a couple of times and I think looking at him and looking at the smile on his face, oh, it's difficult to uh, to tell with Tom because he's normally grinning like a Cheshire cat anyway. (laughs) Uh, But he seems really pleased with it. Uh, certainly for the amount of time they've had on it so far, which isn't a great deal, they do seem fairly happy with the direction they're going. Did you see that thing they had at the NEC when they sort of cut the like a gearbox in half to show you all the workings yeah, inside? Really good, yeah, wasn't brilliant. it? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I had yeah. A look at that that's as well. what I was looking at. I was staring at it, and the bloke came over and gave me all the, the sort of... Uh, <laughs> Can just imagine you looking at that. <laughs> I really like the bike. I think the bike's going to be really good. Uh, and I think... BMW, one of their problems always has been they want a bike that they can sell as a as a brilliant road bike, a track day bike. It's really all things to all sports bike men. And and sometimes that's meant that it's been difficult to translate into a really top-level superbike and be that specific about it, uh, which this one, I think, will translate a little bit better. So we'll, we'll see. I know that they are deadly serious. Uh, and the, the bike looks really good. It look, looks spot on. And certainly Tom looks the part on it already. And we know the team. We know the team work well. We know the team are good. Um, so, And they've been in the championship a while. It's, it's a very savvy, uh, very competent team, is that. Other riders to watch out for, just going through the introduce. Leandro Mercado is on the grid again on an Orillac racing Kawasaki. Jordi Torres' uh, MV has gone. MV is off the grid now. They're still in Super Sport, but not in Superbike. He's on a Pedicini Kawasaki. He'll be good, I think, on that bike. He's going to be up there in the top 10, top five at times. Um... Now, GRT Yamaha, they won the World Supersport title with Luca Myers a couple of years ago. They're in the Superbike class now. Sandro Cortese, Marco Melandri, and one of the hot topics at testing in Jerez and Portimao, James, was data sharing because Yamaha's 
bigging up the fact they want to share the data from four bikes. But there is absolutely no doubt that the riders are not going to be sharing notes. Alex Lowe's and Vandermark made that quite clear. Oh, yeah, and you can see that. I mean, they've put the effort in and, and you know, they'll be thinking, why should another team come along and, <laughs> you know, basically, yeah, I mean, we always, we always talk about teams in this and teams in that, but actually it's, a, it's an individual sport is racing motorcycles. So, um, you know, the riders aren't going to want to swap any info and give anything that they've spent a long time getting to grips with away too easily, you know. Um, but... Um, the team's going to be good, and Melandry's going to be all right. He's never been he's never been a weak link on anything he's ever ridden. Cortese, who knows, he's very savvy. He's an intelligent rider, uh, and he, he, you know, he's looking at. He, I don't think he'll be looking at anything other than, than you know, top six. I think so. It's been I think he's going to be good. To see. Yeah. yeah, I think Cortese is going to surprise quite a lot. Um, of course, we've got to come to Honda in a moment because that's been the big shh over the off-season, complete secretive approach from them. But, James, just very quickly, there's been a few people on Twitter over the last few weeks and months saying there's not enough riders on the grid at the moment. We've got 18 full-time riders. I think it's a really good quality field, and I'd rather have 18 quality riders than what we had a few years ago when we had Grillinis and Team Toth bikes with no chance at all. I suppose it would be good to have a few more full-timers on the grid, though. Yeah, it'd be nice to have 20, uh, 23, 24 would be better. However, I would much rather see five people dicing at the front of a 16 yeah. rider yeah. field than a spread out and somebody winning by a mile in a 25 rider field. So, Agreed. you know, we'll, 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 see how it, we'll see how it works out. And in actual fact, from a TV point of view, and I shouldn't say this, but you are only ever watching yeah. the front yeah. men, really. Yeah. Unless something really exciting and unusual is going on between, you know, the 8th, ninth, and 10th place men, you want to be seeing yeah. what's going on at the front. You would, you know, you always want a good dice at the front. So yeah, from a TV spectacle, I don't think it's going to make any difference at all. I just think no, for anyone watching at the track, it's just nice to have a few more bikes to look at, isn't it, going by? But Correct. that's that's the main difference yeah. there. Um, yeah. Right. What about Honda then? Because they have been so secretive. Honda Racing Corporation (HRC) back in World Superbikes, or are they? That was the first question. How involved are they actually? in this project. I think they are quite involved now looking at it. They've done all their testing away from Europe. Everything's happened in Thailand. No yep. interviews being allowed by any of us until the launch at Phillip Island. It's going to be interesting. And they've got Leon Camia and Kia Nari is back on the grid. Interesting. Yeah, uh, interesting, but, but uh, unfathomable, really. Um, <laughs> I don't honestly uh, love Kyoto bits. But unless he can recapture his best ever form, then he's a second string rider. For me, I don't, you know, I would love to be proved wrong, but, you know, um, you're paying for my opinion, and my opinion is he's <laughs> not going to be, I don't think he's going to be a raise himself, not from what I've seen over the last few years. I hope he can, because he's a lovely, lovely fella, um, but I can't see it. Well, um, he, he was off the pace yeah. three times British champion, but he was off the pace in BSB when he did a few rides last year, wasn't he? Yeah, he was last year. Then, you know, a couple of years ago, he, he joined in at the last minute and flipping from half season, nearly won the thing. And only because he fell off in the last round, he didn't have a real push for the championship. So you never do know. He certainly has the gut. He's got the talent inside him somewhere, but it's a long time since we've seen it. And that would be a worry to me if I was Honda. Um uh, and the rest of it will be down to how much effort and resources Honda are shoving behind the thing. 
I don't think we're truly, truly going to know. And I know there's some HRC, uh, HRC executives lined up for the launch in Australia, but I don't think we're really going to know how HRC the team is until we see how many data engineers, crew chiefs, mechanics, actual HRC people are in that garage at Phillip Island and across the rest of the season. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's an Altea team, it's a Moriwaki team, and it's an yep. HRC team. So, uh, what yeah. so, you know, what percentage what is, is everyone it? actually doing? Yeah. <laughs> what what yeah, the hell is it? Yeah, and, and, and that would make you question how much effort Andre are going to be putting in. There's no doubt if they're putting massive amounts of effort and resources behind it, you'd have to think that they can get to where they need to be eventually with it. But, um, again, this is, you know, I hate to say we'll wait and see as many times as I'm having to see but that's a good thing <laughs> yeah. in actual fact because it means we don't know and we can't call it and when you can't call the championship before it starts that's that's got to be a good thing yeah and usually when hrc is this secretive it means they are taking it very seriously so let's hope they are they've done testing in thailand we know one of the tests the bikes didn't even get there because they got stuck in uh, customs at bangkok but let's hope the rest of the tests went well we know Camia. Well, I can't really think of a better development rider than Leon Cameo, actually, to be involved in that. And it sounds, James, all the indications seem to be that they might be using this year as a development year. And that's why Keo's involved. He knows the Pirelli tyres from Japan. And maybe a new bike's coming out for 2020, but we just don't know at the moment. Well, exactly. We don't know, but that's all right. We can, uh, you know, we can... we. we um... Yeah, we stand to be surprised, don't we? Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, one last thing before we go. Jordan Morland on Facebook is asking about Supersport. Says it seems to be pretty interesting this year. Caracasulo seems to be setting the pace in testing. Jordan says, is it the early favourite? Uh, never going to count out Mayas or Cruzel. Luca Mayas is now on a Pachetti Kawasaki. I'm going for Joel Cruzel this year, James. He's still got that injury with his left foot. He's actually shifting with his right foot now for his gear changes, but he's on a GMT 94 Yamaha. He has got testing in, which he couldn't do last year. Ah, oh, surely it's got to be his year this time. But how many times well, have we said I, that? I, we've said it a lot of times, but he's all, in fairness, when we have said it, he has been quick enough to win it. And it's been a little bit of bad luck here and there. We all saw how much he wore his out on his sleeve trying to win it from Cortez at Qatar last year. Oh, yeah. He crashed again. And, and we like a man who, who wears his out on his sleeve a bit and rides with a bit of passion. Clozel certainly does that. Uh, he's now shifting with his right foot, not his left foot, because his left ankle is, is a bit of a mess. Um, whether that will affect him, you know, I've seen riders that can bat through any injury and make it work, no matter what they're doing. I've seen riders, you know, who have a clutch on where the front brake should be and the throttle on their other hand and all sorts of stuff, and they made it work. <laughs> but then I've seen other riders of, of some quality that, you know, every time they get the stuffing knocked out of him it does actually take it out of him and mm. we'll see we'll see what Jules can do I really hope he can win his championship because you do get the feeling that you know time's running out for him uh, he's certainly on the bike to have there's a couple of regulation tweaks for Supersport to try and keep it a little bit more fair as regards giving the older bikes certainly the, the Honda and a little bit of the Kawasaki um, a little bit of help to stay competitive with what has been a dominant Yamaha so far since its inception. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I see Caracasulo as my championship favourite as the season starts, I've got to say. Always liked him. Really quick. I think it's his time just coming. Uh, but I would love to see Jules beating for the championship. Well, there you go, Jordan. James agrees with you. And incidentally, Caracasulo has gone back now to the Even Bros team he was with back in 2016. And he is teammates with Randy Krumanaka. Last point then from Martin Russell. 
and he's asking what are our top three predictions for the 2019 season. I'm probably going to be accused of being a bit boring here, James, but right now at this very moment, I'm going to say Jonathan Ray, Chas Davis, Alex Lowe's. What do you think? I'm going. Um, I'm going Jonathan Ray. I am going Alex Lowe's, and then Alvaro Batista. Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds realistic as well. But the great thing is, there's 39 races now, which is a lot of races. And, you know, we, we don't quite know, do we? But it's going to be a busy weekend hey, hey, for us. Greg, are we getting paid per race or per weekend? <laughs> I wish we were getting paid per race, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we should maybe have a word with uh, with our Eurosport <laughs> colleagues about that. That James Whittam's <laughs> idea, everyone, not mine. Um, right, lovely stuff. No, it's going to be busy, though, isn't it? There's a lot to look forward to. I suppose another thing, James, is you don't want to come off in that sprint race because there's not much time to get your bike repaired ready for the final race on the Sunday. Yeah, this has always been a feature of superbike racing. When we used to run both legs, one in a one late morning Sunday and one sort of mid-afternoon Sunday, it was a, a, a big thing. Even when you ran, when you could run a spare bike and it wasn't a, a single bike championship and you could just wheel your spare bike out, it still was a disadvantage if you crashed in race one because there's not a lot of time in between uh, and physically if you, if you crash in race one. And that's, they're bringing that sort of back into play again. So we'll see. It'll be, it's interesting. New format, always interesting. Right, well, I will see you in Abu Dhabi when we meet to get the connecting flight to Melbourne. Have you got one of your SAS books or something ready for the flights? Uh, yeah, I've got, actually, I've got, um, uh, yeah, a little bit of Second World War stuff uh, to read. Also, I've been restoring a 1960s Triumph, uh, so I'm, I'll be reading a little bit about that as well. For my, I was going to say, uh, I thought you said you were going to bring your 1960s Triumph with you for a minute. You can't check that in. No, i tell you what, it's that heavy, the plane won't take it off. Excess baggage as well. That'll be a nightmare, <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> right, well, I look forward to it, and uh, we are almost ready to go. All right, cheers, Greg. Cheers, mate, that was good fun. Thank you very much, James Whittam. Many thanks from me, Greg Haynes, as well. We'll be back with the Full Throttle podcast on the Monday after Phillip Island, digesting what on earth is going to happen there with three races in the Superbike class and, of course, the Supersport race. So loads potentially could and will happen in Southern Australia. And in the meantime, tune in. Check the listings just before as well in case anything changes and it can be a bit confusing with the time differences. But we are scheduled to be on air from 1am live UK time on the morning of Saturday the 23rd of February and quarter to one on the morning of Sunday the 24th for all of the qualifying and race action from Phillip Island. Stand by your beds then. We are ready for World Superbikes 2019. See you in Australia.